Welcome one and all to the first episode in our two-part mini-series created in partnership with Thomas Mason and the Albini Group. So, what are we up to? Well, since we launched Handcut Radio, more than a few of you have emailed in or messaged us on Instagram to ask if we could bring you some insight into an often overlooked part of the menswear scene, a fabric mill. In fact, a question that keeps coming up is, just what does it take to make a fine quality fabric? This is a great question to be sure, but I have a few to add myself. Albini, which owns and protects the Thomas Mason brand today, and weaves all Thomas Mason fabrics, creates some of the finest shirting cloth on the planet, used by everyone from Ralph Lauren to Brunello Cuccinelli and Turnbull and Asser to Salvatore Piccolo. Moreover, the company is five generations family-owned and run, and employs over 1,400 people worldwide. That, quite frankly, boggles the mind. When we partnered with Albini, I wanted to find out how the company has stayed in such good health, and what sets it apart from other Italian mills today. To find out, a trip to Bergamo was on the cards. We jetted over there a few months ago to visit the Thomas Mason Mill and to lift the lid on what makes this company so unique. Like any self-respecting manufacturer, as soon as we'd made the necessary introductions and sipped an espresso, Gabriella Camozzi, Head of Communications, whizzed us through the factory floor and sat down with us to reveal all with no end of enthusiasm for the fine details. Here is what we discussed. So, Gabriella, um, we've had a quick whiz through the weaving process, and one thing that strikes me compared with other mills I visited is the kind of precision and the levels of technology at work. It's quite, um, it's quite unusual to me. I've never been to a mill with a laboratory before, for example, or in fact two laboratories. Um, could you tell me a little bit more about your approach to technology at Thomas Mason? Yeah, you're absolutely right, uh, Alex. Uh, this is uh, a company which is uh, quite unique from this uh, point of view. Uh, let's say the, the technology behind uh, Albini is due to the vision of the Albini family itself, uh, who actually dedicate uh, uh, a big chunk of the annual turnover uh, to innovation and uh, investing in the company itself. Uh, and they're, they're still quite involved, right? The family? They're absolutely very, very involved. This is the fifth uh, generation of, uh, of the family, which is still involved uh, in, uh, into the company. We have uh, right now Fabio, uh, Stefano and Andrea, uh, which they, each, each of them takes care of uh, part uh, of, um, of the managing of the company uh, so they're very still involved in this uh, Fabio uh, from let's say the creative point of view uh, Stefano is uh, our president and also takes care of, uh, of the financial part uh, while Andrea is uh, taking care mainly of the industrial part so we're also very lucky to have them very well divided in their own yeah. fields and very <laughs> absolutely uh, very great on what uh, on what they do and then of course uh, they're helped by our CEO uh, which is uh, something quite uh, let's say more modern as well because uh, after more than 140 years uh, we also have an external uh, uh, let's say person which is helping managing the company which is uh, Fabio Tamburini right 
And um, talking back to the to the part uh, of, um, of yes. the innovation. Sorry, and, I completely no, took you off guard there. No problem, no problem, my <laughs> pleasure. <laughs> and uh, to, um, going back to the technology and innovation part, uh, let's say uh, innovation from our point of view, thanks to the investment of the family, is very broad. But let's say that considering the last uh, 10 years uh, of the company, uh, this was very much uh, dedicated and related to the vertical integration of the whole uh, Albini group. Right, vertical integration. Now, I I know what that means, thanks to being a fabric geek, but for, for the benefit of listeners who might not, what, what does verti- a vertically integrated mill mean? Well, basically, we control every step uh, of uh, the production chain, uh, so from the cotton seeds uh, to the harvesting uh, and the acquisition of the raw material itself, uh, and then we go over spinning, dyeing, weaving, uh, and finishing. So basically, we control uh, at 360 degrees the whole supply chain. So we're talking from field to, to finished fabric. Absolutely, absolutely. So we start from uh, uh, everything which is dedicated to the raw material, in the, from the best raw material in the world, from US, from Egypt, uh, from the Caribbean island. Uh, and then everything, everything comes to Italy. And then we take care of the spinning. Uh, we take care of the dyeing directly here in the headquarters, as we saw before together in our work uh, uh, for the for the headquarter and then everything which is the preparation and weaving and then the finishing again is that, done in Italy. That's a very good point that I hadn't thought about because a lot of the British mills I've visited are buying in dyed yarn whereas you're not doing that you're dyeing it yourselves. Absolutely uh, yeah. Very good very this good. Is part of the secret because uh, you know every part of the supply chain uh, hides a, a secret behind uh, so there is a specific uh, let's say way to do the spinning so we do exactly how to do it uh, with the best raw material and how to treat uh, that specific raw material in the best way. Uh, also for the dyeing part, uh, I mean, we, we take care of uh, dyeing more than 700 colors every season, uh, if you consider the color and the yarn count. Uh, so this is quite difficult to be carried out just by buying it. So the only thing to, to do this and to be a trendsetter on, uh, on this point of view is just taking care directly of this. Uh, and so that's why we do it uh, by ourselves. Crumbs. Okay, well... Um obvious next question then which you've started to get into is is how does this level of control impact on on your fabrics yeah this is really crucial on uh, on different level i would say it's not just uh, one part of uh, of let's say the impact on the fabric but on many different level i would start uh, with uh, with the quality of course because uh, when you control the whole supply chain, you basically have uh, uh, the control of everything that you are doing. And so uh, you can always improve uh, uh, something and you have, uh, let's say, the control uh, of each stage. So basically, after each stage of the production, after the spinning, uh, uh, we control that the, that the yarn is, is fine according to our standards. Uh, then after the dyeing, uh, we do exactly the same. We control uh, that the color tones uh, are exactly as we want them to, to, to be. And then uh, we control also the solidity of the color, we control the resistance of it, the strength uh, of the yarn, because in the end, uh, we really have to achieve the perfect quality. And uh, as you saw before, also during uh, our walk uh, uh, on the, um, let's say, on the production ground, uh, what we do is to control the the fabric itself two times. Uh, the first one, we control it just after the weaving, so it's still a, a grid fabric, uh, and we control it directly, uh, as you could see, with the human eye control. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then we recontrol 100% when once it's back uh, from the finishing department. So we control it twice, ah. 
and then we also take uh, each piece, we cut a small piece, and we control in laboratory both is a chemical and physical test. Oh, right. So even after the after the kind of invisible mending has happened, it gets checked again. Exactly. Everything is controlled twice. Blimey. And this basically brings up to what happened in, in the past few years. Uh, so the fineness of the fabric, for instance, uh, mm -hmm. if you consider when we acquired uh, Thomas Mason, uh, uh, the silver was probably the, the highest uh, yarn count we had, and it was a 100 uh, two ply. Right now we can achieve the 334 ply. Blimey. Uh, now, let's just pop that into context quickly. So when, uh, as you say, 10 years ago, German street shirt makers, as a general rule, would use the silver grade cloth. Yeah. And that was considered to be the finest thing that they could access. Absolutely. So now you're saying, yeah, you can have that if you want. And it is good cloth. I actually, I should say, um, listeners, I have a couple of, of silver line uh, Albini shirts, which I live in. I love a couple of very, very uh, cheeky dark brown stripes. Um but you're saying to now to the industry, yeah, we can do that. We can do the solid silver line, but we can also do something that's like almost, almost well, more than twice as fine. Exactly, correct. Basically, our silver is still today, let's say, one of the best sellers and uh, is still the core of, uh, let's say, of the whole uh, collection. Yeah, I am a sucker for but a then we, we, were, uh, <laughs> we were also improving this. Uh, so, let's say, keeping the same concept of the silver and going on the 120 to ply, for instance. But then, really, as we were talking before, we could achieve really the highest level in terms of yarn counts. So, step by step, this is not something that comes uh, on off, but it really takes some time and some research behind it but really the innovation on how to treat the best raw material so starting from the Giza 45 cotton which is the only one that can achieve uh, the finest uh, yarn count we know exactly how to treat it in terms of spinning and so it, we started to create the 140 the 200 and then achieving up to the 300 and right now the 334 ply which is absolutely incredible next fabric. level in terms of sustainability, Gabriel, that's a huge thing for the Albini Group too, right? Where does that fit into this whole puzzle of, of, of fabric quality? It perfectly fits into the, let's say, the supply chain control, first of all, because uh, you, you can really be fully sustainable by controlling uh, uh, everything that you do, uh, because uh, this is something we, we don't get from, let's say, external supplier, we control it directly. So we know exactly that we have uh, a reduced water consumption, for instance, during the dyeing process. Uh, uh, we have also less energy consumption, uh, uh, both in the weaving phase, in the finishing phase. Uh, we use also some renewable sources uh, during those different steps. Then sustainability, it's not just uh, the process point of view, but it's also talking about the raw materials, uh, so starting with the organic and eco-friendly fibers, uh, which we are really focusing on uh, very much in the, let's say, in this in these few years. And also, let's say, from the social point of view, uh, because, of course, having the full control of the supply chain, uh, this allows us also to have a guarantee, uh, let's say, health uh, and uh, ethic uh, condition and welfare for all our colleagues. Yeah, that, that's, I think that's quite important when you consider that cotton is grown all over the world in, 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 in countries at kind of various stages of development. I think that's, that's really admirable. Gabriella, thank you. But I'm going to bring in uh, your colleague at this point, Mr. Tim Neckerbruck. Uh, Tim, um, a lot of different brands uh, talk about innovation and sustainability in our space. Um, but I think it's safe to say that Thomas Mason is genuinely innovative. Um, could you tell me a little bit about what sets Thomas Mason apart from other mills in terms of innovation? 
Uh, sure, Alex. Um, I think the big luck of Thomas Mason is that uh, the brand actually uh, came into the hands of the Albini family. Uh, they brought the brand in uh, 1992. So I would say the brand was pushed forward uh, in the past on a commercial level, always respecting uh, its design DNA. Uh, then afterwards, it was moved forward in terms of, of quality. So this was something that Albini uh, originally helped on. However, nowadays, if you look at uh, the fifth generation, uh, always uh, forward thinking, uh, they launched last year in uh, 2019 a think tank, which is the first think tank for the textile industry. Yes. It's called Albini Next. Um, considered a bit as a sort of laboratory. Uh, Another one. Exactly. <laughs> where we want to push the boundaries uh, of what is going on, of the, not going to say the status quo, but at least of how we can reinvent uh, the textile industry. And we focus on three pillars specifically. So the first one is creativity, uh, which of course is, let's say, the ground for a textile company that uh, invents about 20,000 new designs every yeah, single year. Of course, uh, you need a year. drop or two of that. Uh, but also new materials and circularity, and then also new technologies. Right. Okay. Let's unpick that a little bit. Um, I'm interested in the technologies you're developing, and also the what do you mean in terms of circularity? Well, in terms of circularity, I think uh, that is the, the, the nicest example. What we're trying to do is to see how we can actually give a new life to our fabrics uh, and maybe also, let's say, to the discards that our uh, clients have. So uh, if they cut the fabric, uh, basically there always remains and we want to see if we can do something with that. So one of the things that we're testing is how um, if we can actually... Um, how can I say, use our fabrics, recycle them. Uh, we figured out that you could do that in two ways. You could either do that in a mechanical way. So meaning, to put it very simply, you're going to destroy the fabric, uh, reduce it to very small fibers. Uh, that is a very interesting process. However, for shirting cloth, you need very, very fine yarn. Mm. And at the moment, you only arrive to a 30 by one. So this is something you can use our probably our uh, our fabrics again, but for rougher fabrics like denim and so on. Right. So it's good. We can help the industry, but it doesn't really have a direct impact uh, on us. So we are testing now what we also can do on a chemical level and meaning there you use uh, chemical substances which are completely organic and so on. So there is no... Uh, no, un no unpleasantness. No unpleasantness uh, for health or for humankind. But basically where you get to a sort of cellulose uh, pulp. From this pulp, you can make new fabrics. You need to weave that together. Like with, tensile? Like tensile is a good example of that. Right. Lovely uh, tensile. But something that we're actually working on and talking about circularity is to put it into another industry. And one of those industries is actually the paper industry. Sure. So we, are, we saw that from the pulp that we're actually reproducing, recreating, we can actually put that over to... Uh, paper makers and they can make a cotton paper fabric. I, is cotton paper a thing? I don't know. I, I, I presume not. I presume this is pretty unique. At the moment unique. not. It's pretty pretty new, pretty innovative. Uh, we knew that some of our uh, friends from the wool business, they give a lot of their uh, 
let's say, waste uh, to automotive businesses, to construction businesses for isolation. Uh, Our goal is to find a way uh, to, to give that to same. another industry and make sure that uh, whenever we have wastage, whenever we have overproduction or even it can happen that uh, we have a third quality fabric which normally we would throw away that we give it a new life and uh, basically give it to somebody else i mean that's i think that's super cool but uh, it must be an, an extraordinarily large feat given the size of albini to to find ways to do that i do not envy you uh, it's uh, especially operations behind it. So uh, people always think that circularity is very easy, but actually you need to employ specific people, first of all, that figure out if this is all feasible. Mm. And this is what we did in the think tank. So we have a uh, bioengineer there. We have a textile engineer there. We have somebody that comes from uh, the Royal Academy in London who is actually rethinking also the creativity. In fact, one of the results that we presented in uh, late February at uh, exhibition is a way of uh, dyeing the cotton in a natural way. So at the moment we still use chemical dyes, which again uh, are not uh, hazardous for uh, humankind, but uh, they use quite a lot of water. Mm. And so if we can dye it, it's based on a sort of natural pigment dye we can actually reduce the uses of water. At the moment, we're at a very good stage. Uh, the first uh, samples and tests that we did are uh, amazing, both in terms of, of coloring uh, and just you can use it on basically all type of fabrics, which is great. The only issue that we have at the moment is that yeah, we're a big company, so uh, in some cases we do a lot of meters of the same fabric, is to industrialize it. And so to make sure right. that actually it's sustainable from the first meter that we produce until the last meter of and the And that row. you haven't got any, you're, you're not sending a client shirts in slightly, shirt cloth in slightly different colors. E exactly. It would maybe creatively seen uh, would be a great idea, but uh, many of our clients would not be so pleased with it. Yeah, they expect got, good quality and good service. You've got to us. find a brand who's very into tie-dyeing at some Absolutely. point. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay, well, I mean, I think that's incredible. Um, but I wanted to also just bring this round um, a little bit because obviously technology is clearly a big part of, of what you are committed to as a company, which I uh, thoroughly applaud. But um, this is still an artisanal product at the end of the day, right? I, I think we can clearly state that, Alex. Um, Two examples. And the first example is maybe if you look at our higher ER counts, they're always woven on the most modern looms that we have. Mm -hmm. But to give you an idea, the yarn that we use is so fine so that the looms, we put them at a third of the speed that they normally go. To make sure um, that, the, that you don't snap the arm. Exactly. So even if there is modernity, so this is already a way, a sort of slow weaving in order to make sure that you can get to the, to the nicest qualities. These qualities, we also use normally one operator mm, manages a couple of uh, weaving looms. In these cases, when we go to finer qualities, we actually dedicate one operator to one loom. Right. So this is, I think, the second aspect and the second example. In our company, we have 1,400 people. So many people think that shirting fabrics are made by robots, uh, by these fancy machines uh, which are invented in Japan and maybe even in Switzerland or Italy. No, it's not the case. You, you've seen it when we walk through the mill every single process there is always a hand involved yeah, and yeah. i think this is something uh that makes the difference one other thought for you because um i'm intrigued to to know 
If you were to recommend a single favourite Thomas Mason fabric to uh, to our listeners at home, what what would you suggest, Gabriella? Do you want to kick off? Wow, it's quite difficult to to choose a single one uh, as we have like twenty thousand every year, so it's really difficult. But uh, if I have to choose one, uh, I would definitely say uh, the Sea Island in one hundred twenty two ply. This is uh, probably my favorite uh, uh, because of the silky touch, the smoothness, and let's say also the fact that it's, uh, I would say, full body. So it's really, really uh, the perfect shirt. And then for also the the fascinating history behind the fact that it's coming from the Caribbean and it's so uh, precious and really a a niche product, something that you really, really appreciate uh, uh, also as a connoisseur of of the shirting world. Well, Alex, uh, I was the one inviting you here, so I'm going to use my yoker here. I'm going to give you two. Um, basically, I think the downing fabric is definitely a fabric that I have a lot in my closet. Um, downing is actually uh, 122-ply mixed with a 70 single, and it has a preciseness on the coloring, so if you ever need a good stripe, it looks like it's really painted on there by Michelangelo himself, uh, really nice. And the other one is actually a difficult choice because um, the original uh, Oxford, Royal Oxford 102 ply is an original Thomas Mason, so they refined a bit the Oxford, which I think is fantastic, but I would opt for the gold Oxford, which is the 142 ply version of it, so it's finer. But uh, thanks to the special weave, it has this chambre effect, and it looks like you always have like a bit of matte Oxford, but still it's a 142 ply, so it's actually a luxury shirt uh, that has a, a quite cool and casual uh, aspect to it. Brilliant. Um, well, guys, thank you for that that short but sweet um, little conversation there. I mean, I, I, I really do applaud what Albini's doing. I'm very grateful that we've thank managed you, to pull this project together. Um, but thanks very much indeed for taking some time to talk us through Thomas Mason. Thanks for coming. Well, there we are. More to come on Thomas Mason next week when we visit the mill's extraordinary 17th century archive room. Now, though, we have one more tidbit for you. To wrap up our partnership, we're offering two listeners the chance to win three free bespoke shirts in Thomas Mason fabric, cut and made by Turnbull and Asser, redeemable at Turnbull's London Davies Street or New York stores. For the chance to win, simply visit handcutradio.com forward slash Thomas Mason and sign up with your email address. I'd kill for three bespoke shirts, you lucky so-and-sos, so don't forget to enter. Note that Thomas Mason is also launching an editorial website, packed with compelling menswear content, including tons of really great original photography, incisive interviews with some of menswear's coolest cult figures, and even a shirt-focused style column from yours truly. Keep up to date with the website's launch and regular content updates by visiting thomasmason.co.uk. Thank you as always for listening, and we'll see you back here in just a few days' time for the next episode of Season 3.